calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Du. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters, Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day, Life Writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Yay! There we go. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Okay, so yes, excited to be here. This is a a big week with the run-up to the World Science Fiction Convention, which will be in Chicago starting September 1st. Why are we going to this again, Steve? Because we are the guests of honor. (gasps) We are the guests of honor. My pinky is raised. My pinky is raised, everyone. I'm feeling so fancy right now. Yes, yeah, so I've only been to World One Worldcon, and that was when I co-presented the Hugo Awards with David Gerald. I'm thinking that goes back to like 2016, maybe it was a long time ago. It's been a while. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. A there was a fire in Spokane, or no, not Spokane, but but wherever where we were, there was a a, a really horrible brush fire, as, as I recall. The air was awful. Oh yeah, I vaguely remember a long smoky drive to get to the uh, facility. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, so what's uh, what's going on in our lives right well, now? Well, that's Where's big. Well, I just want to say at Worldcon, of course, we're going to be doing several panels. We're each doing readings. We are, I'm on a panel that has to do with Jordan Peele and horror, and we'll be promoting books. I know we'll be promoting The Keeper, which is our upcoming graphic novel being published September 27th. And also, we're working to have copies there. There'll be the first copies available to sell. Yeah. So please come. I think our signing is on Sunday at four o'clock, I believe. Oh, look at you with schedules um, and everything. Schedules and everything. So, so that will be a week. By, say hi. Bring the books you'd like us to to sign. Yes, we we look forward to seeing everyone. They're calling it ChiCon or is it ChiCon? Chicago. ChiCon. ChiCon. Okay. So let's see. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know these things. I feel. I mean, I've been in this this business for a very long time, but I still feel like I have a lot to learn about conventions and I, and I don't go to that many. So this is a big, big, big deal. And I know our son Jason's very excited to be going and he's meeting friends and I'm sure I'll see friends. And so, yeah, that is, that is huge. And we also have a lot going on just in general. We are about to move. Today we saw we got the keys to our new pad, yes, which is did. really more than a pad. It's a house. It's a two story house. It has a cute little, you know, patio with plants and just a little more room to spread out. 
we we moved to our current house in a hurry. I don't mind saying we're we're long term leasers. We we haven't bought a house yet, although we're working toward that. But we were very happy where we were back in. Gosh, it was six years ago. Those Black Panther, two thousand sixteen. Yeah, we were very happy there. And I was literally at a screening for Black Panther. We were watching it with a group of friends when we got the text from our landlord saying, call me when you get a chance. And let's just say my blood went cold because he never texted. He we, we paid our rent. We never saw the guy. I just had a feeling. And I called him and I said, just break it to me. I, you know, I don't have to. And, and he said he wanted to move back into his house. And that's the second time. By the way, that it happened to us when a landlord said they wanted to move back in. Not it's fun. the worst. I, you know, because of, of circumstances, things that, that were under, out of our control, out of our direct control, you know, I this has been going on in my life for, you know, over 20 years. Just because upheaval, we, yeah, upheaval, you yeah. know, the, the hot house in Canyon Country and had to move up to the Northwest. And then there wasn't time to buy a house up there because Nikki was going to be graduating high school, moved back down here. We moved back down here and then we have to move. And then the we landlord wanted place, to move back in. Oh. And we liked that. And then and, my mother and we got had to sick. go to Atlanta. Yeah. And then, you know, that was a very nice house in Atlanta, wrong it location, was. nice house. But then we moved back out here, back close to where the house was that we'd been in before. We were very happy with that place. And then the landlord wants to move in. And so we had a limited amount of time to find where we are now. And then just as we're kind of getting ready to look around and figure out where we're going to move, the pandemic hits. <laughs> and, and so it's like it's been, you know, no roots, no roots. And I can really feel it, you know. Well, you this is not have, fun anymore. You're going to have beautiful bookshelves. I know you've been talking for years about how you want to unbox so many books and shelve them. We are going to have bookshelves all over this house. You're going to have a very nice office. I'm going to have a nice office. Jason will have even his own office. That was one of the things he wanted. And, and we're happy to accommodate because we're not eager for him to leave us. He's 18 now and he's interning with us in internet marketing, but we're not eager for him to leave yet. So we're trying to give him a space that he will also love. That's very important. So let's see, we did a, a major pitch of a couple of movie ideas at one studio last Monday. Who knows what will happen with that? I mean, I didn't get to pitch the idea that I really wanted because my our, our agents, our representatives were a little scared of the idea that I came up with. But we came up with a couple others, and we're pretty happy with those. So we'll see what happens. They're both based on some back catalog at this particular studio. And I turned in a, a store, the next chunk of a story working on with Larry Niven. I think he's going to be very happy with that. I turned I turned in an actual story to a secret anthology that we've been asked to to submit to. I'm He's very so happy with that. Yeah, I'll say that the, the story starts, with the, t the title starts with an S. That's as far as I'll oh, say. Oh, that won't give any more away? It's I'm actually, not, I'm not, I'm not. It's a great story. There's a historical figure involved. I'll say that much too. I, it's, it's a very strong Stephen Barnes story. I'm super excited about it. I'm very jealous that you've already turned in your story when I have no idea yet what my story will even be about. So yeah, but we, it hasn't been accepted. You know, we'll, we'll, right. we'll see about that. And, you know, there's always, there's always that, you know, I don't write a lot of stories, at least partially because I wait until somebody has asked me to do it, you know, cause I just don't know what the markets are anymore. And I don't, you know, I don't know. So I kind of wait for those invitations. Then I whip something together and it's, I, I've been doing more, a lot more stories the last couple of years, and I think that that's a good thing. But simultaneously, I feel like my book writing career might be wrapping itself up because I want to put so much time and effort into Hollywood. I want to see what how far we can get in this game in the time. That's that we true. Have. I'm kind of torn now. I'm working on a, a treatment that I think I will write as a script first. I, I uh -huh. do like the idea we should always be working on scripts since that's the thing, especially I'm learning right now. And is is so economically rewarding <laughs> that it makes a lot of sense. But part of me was like, ooh, this could also be a novel. Yeah, uh, so write it as a script and then turn it into a novel. Right. So I feel those two things at war. And and for me as a novelist, transitioning to screenwriting, and I can't wait until we do a course about this. I can't wait to do a, another screenwriting course. We've done 
another, we've done a couple and I taught screenwriting at, at Spelman College too. But uh, one of the things that I have to take to heart is something you talked about, Steve, you know, the, the amount of creative investment it takes to write a good script should feel like the amount of creative investment it takes to write a novel. Very often in the beginning of my screenwriting career, I think some of those ideas were kind of skating the creative surface, not going as deeply with character development and motivations and, you know, all that backstory and all that inner dialogue that there's really no room for in a script doesn't mean that you shouldn't have done that work. Those characters should reflect all that work. That was my perception of you. I mean, your writing is so incredibly rich, whether it's thematics or the characterization or description, that it was very noticeable to me that you that you were having a hard time bringing that same level of commitment to the screenplay. Well, that's I, changed, though. It, it, oh, it's changed completely. Yeah, it's changed it's a lot. Changed. I'm doing way, way better. A long way since too bad. So hey, hey, that, you know <laughs> <laughs> I said too bad, too sad, and he will never let me forget it. Oh my gosh! I, will you wait till I find a line of di- your dialogue? I'm going to keep throwing back at you. But anyway, it's okay. I, I appreciate the compliment. I have come along. No, way. I mean you know it's it's all you have to do is compare the pack <laughs> and the keeper. <laughs> the pack, the pack for those of you who all of you who have never heard of it before was one of our first co-screenwriting ventures soon after we got married. And I'm not going to even go into the details about what it was about, but the reason too bad, so sad, it stands out to him as such a clunker of a line is because it was in response to, I think someone just having been violently murdered. And- no, it was in a life and death circumstance. Oh, I forget okay. whether or not anybody had been murdered yet, but it was very clearly not a place where people would be cracking one-liners. You know? Right, and it's a it's a very cinematic kind of one-liner, and, and it's yeah, it is. You rightfully pointed out, I would never have had a character say in in one of my novels in that circumstance. So, and that is yeah. true. And 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 probably it's good then that as I'm developing this treatment, I'm already thinking of it as a novel and tempted even to write it as a novel because I do think it can have that depth. And by the way, some of you may know what the script is based on. I had a short story come out in an anthology called Other Terrors. Other Terrors is out now. It's marginalized horror, which is, as a matter of fact, the topic of today's podcast. But the the story is an expansion of my story, which was called Incident at Bear Creek Lodge. So this script is just called Bear Creek Lodge. And uh, that story is the backstory. It happened in the 70s. This story is in the present when the child in that story is an adult and he goes back to the lodge. And that's all I'm going to say. No, I see. And here's what I would expect that I would expect that at this point you've developed enough of a neurological or perceptual or attitudinal or philosophical connection that when you realize you, that there are things you can't do with a script that you can do with a book, but there are things that you cannot do with a book that you can do with a screenplay. That's true. You can, so that, you can. In, in books, one word follows another word, and that's it. That's all you got. In a screenplay, there can be five things happening at the same time. A couple different characters can be talking. There can be a car crashing in the background. The music can be going through a crescendo. You and know, then there's and a huge clue that you see hanging on the wall that you didn't notice. That's before. right. Right. Yes. That's right. So, you know, you, you, have, you have that. And then also you have the opportunity to collaborate with the actors who, if they are bringing their A game, they can bring depth that you didn't expect. I remember writing the line, I'd rather be doing stress tests with you, in the first hour-long television show I ever wrote, said by a, a, a lab geek. When the lab, when the guy actor playing the lab geek delivered that line, it was filled, it was dripping with innuendo. I'd rather be doing stress tests with you. I mean, it was I I had never I had never imagined that, and it made the scene five times as good right. because you know suddenly this guy added a lot of subtext about his character having the hots for her and her not having any interest at all. Now all of a sudden they were human beings rather than just needing somebody to say a piece of dialogue so I could get from point A to point B. This actor was bringing it. Yes. You know, not, it wasn't wasn't an Oscar moment. It wasn't even an Emmy moment, but it was the real moment. <laughs> well, that's great. And that is, Rachel True brought that up in a in a previous podcast, and not just Rachel True. Actually, we've had a couple of guests talk about how leave room for the actors 
Leave room for the actors. Yes, you're writing, hopefully, the subtext and not the text, because then you get on the nose dialogue. But even though you think you've nailed it with your level of subtlety and nuance, that actor is going to come in. And well, that was something Colette that Friedman I learned. Said, from- yeah, Colette Friedman said, don't tell them to wave their hands in the air, or scratch their right. heads, and all those stupid stage directions. Just let them let them do what they do. You do what you not do. Not unless that movement is critical. Like right. we talked about the fact that there is a scene in My Soul to Keep where Jessica might recognize David, you know, in a video. Mm-hmm. And I have a suggestion that maybe she doesn't see his face. Maybe she's recognizing a gesture. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, oh, that's good. So, and by the way, My Soul to Keep is one of my novels, and we're developing that for TV right now. We're, we're, we've right. Pretty much finished a draft of a Bible. and, and uh, I'm having the great fun of, of listening to it on and as an audiobook. No, it's, just, it's wonderful. Oh. You're brilliant right now. I have nothing but respect, you know, and a slight off of what you can what you can do there. And you're helping me with the the story that will not be named, showing me how you think about things so that I can go in there and tart it up. Just, you know, kinda kinda go more deeply into it, as well as your methodology of using voice dream on i on, on iPhone. Yeah. To read the story to me at night while I'm going to sleep. That kind of detail, trying to understand, well, how do you think? You know, how does my baby think? She gets this wonderful result, and I'm not putting my own writing down at all. I'm simply wanting to learn more new tools. And so this this is good. I don't know what my next short story will be. I don't even know when I'm going to be reading it. Will come because you've advised me not to read the S story. I think keep it completely secret in every conceivable way but you have so many other great stories to choose okay. yeah I, I might read sacred cow the one i did with larry niven or i might read something that's one of my solo stories you know i think that you know that's one of the things that that has concerned me over the course of my career is did i collaborate too much i mean i needed to to survive you know to be able to pay the rent literally so working with larry niven was not just an educational experience it was a financial choice it was like I knew I could get a lot more money working with Larry than I could, you know, by myself. Even though I only got half the half the money. And by the way, for three or four years, our day job was writing that Tennyson Hardwick mystery series with Blair Underwood as right. sort of the titular character on the cover. He had input with the story. We wrote four of those, and that was that was pretty much our day job. So I get what you're saying about collaboration is very useful. But I'm so glad to see you writing more solo fiction. Yeah, I have to. I mean, I remember, you know, a conversation that I had, you know, just like, you know, you do what you need to do to survive in in your life and in your career, but it has everything you do has a price. You know, I figured that I would rather write stuff that you know, I wasn't thrilled with in terms of my, my, my most personal self in order to not have to flip burgers. I mean, just, you know, what can I do here? And plus, I, I was really blessed. I mean, like I said, a lot of it was during the time when I was working with Larry and Larry and Jerry. So I was learning at mock speed. But you do ask questions to yourself. And I remember Leo and Diane Dillon, who are great friends of Harlan Ellison's wonderful artists, you know, where one of them, they worked together where one of them started a line, the other would stop it. I mean, they wouldn't stop a line, the other would start it and just real art. And I, I met them and I asked them if we get together for, uh, for lunch in Greenwich village where they live. And I went there to meet with them and I was talking to them about artwork because my, my wife at the time, Nikki's mom, Tony was interested in, being a professional artist and I'm talking to them about art and I realized I was in the presence of real artists. I mean, this was whatever art is, they embodied it. Mm-hmm. And then I suddenly realized that I didn't want to talk to them about Tony's issues. I wanted to talk to them about mine. And I just, just started crying at the table, just talking to them about what I was doing in my career and what I was trying to do and, and my, my doubts and my, my feeling that, that, I was wondering whether or not it, 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 I was poisoning my own sense of my taste, you know, my, my ability to recognize my own voice. And I remember saying to them, is it too late for me? And they looked at each other and Diane reached across the table and, and took my hands and said, Steve, if you can even ask that question, it's not too late. I mean, 
us. I God, I needed to hear that so much because, you know, all I wanted to do was be a writer. You know, I just wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be able to have storytelling as one of the skills at my fingertips. Did you ever f- wonder when that you were selling yourself out or were you able to always kind of stay on your path? Well, actually, you know, now that you mention it, I think... During that time, we were working on the Tennis and Hardwick series. Sometimes I was a little concerned that we were leaning too much into the eroticism because we had pitched it as Walter Mosley meets Zane. Right. And, and great erotica writer, of course, Zane and Walter Mosley, great mystery writer. And I think especially in the first book, the second one we won an NAACP Image Award for. So let's just say that one's perfect. But I know it's not. <laughs> I, did wonder, I did wonder, are we pushing that too hard? Are we... Are we trying to claw for that commercial appeal? And the fact of the matter is, the audiences are just going to find it or they're not going to find it. I think what we learned from that process is that TV viewers aren't necessarily huge book buyers. And book readers might be a little suspicious of a book that has an actor on the cover. (laughs) You know, that's what I kind of learned because I always expected that series. And that series was intended to be kind of like the movies we couldn't get made. Right. So it was Casa Negra in the night of the heat South by Southeast. We were inverting everything with this black lead. But during that time, I did wonder, are we trying too hard? Because the thing of it is you can't grab it. It's smoke. Either it happens or it doesn't happen. And I think for all our, and I'm very proud of those books, by the way. In fact, working on that, that last novel helped get me through my mother's illness and passing away. So it was important to me and everything I've ever put my name on, I am proud of. That's not what I'm saying at all. I think it's a great series. But during the time we were working on it, the question did occur to me. And, and you know, it's very natural. I, I love collaborating with you on scripts. I also love working solo on on stories. And, and I think there's a different voice that emerges when you're working solo, as opposed to when you use someone else as another lobe of your brain. And we can have the best of both worlds. We can work on things solo, but also get really, really great advice from each other as sort of shadow partners if necessary. And, right. and that's the best of all worlds for me. You know, I, I basically just, I just agree with what you said. You know, it is the, the artist path can be a very lonely place. And, you know, if you've got financial insecurity, or emotional insecurity and instability, then, you know, you, you wake up every morning and you, you know, I forget who it is that said, you take your little pile of talent and you try to push it together and do something, do something with it. But I think ultimately the, the closer you can come to speaking in your own voice, the happier your soul is going to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. You know, most of the – I'm lucky in that, that the the stuff that I've done just for money was, you know, there were some, some television things that I took just for money. You know, a couple of Baywatch episodes that, you know, the first couple I was thrilled by. and the, One of them was Revenge. <laughs> find it dear listener yeah but working in the star trek universe working in the star wars universe working in the batman universe stuff like that i was able to find the place inside me that was really enjoying what i was doing i didn't have to fake it you know i'm not good at faking it i have to find something that i love about the project and then build on top of that use that emotion to to get thing get things moving forward because if you're not bringing your a game 
there's a way in which you're kind of taking that little kid inside you and putting them on the corner. Oh, I mean, that's what, yes, absolutely. You know, just, you know, you got to love it. You got to love it. So you know? that, that's why I teach, you know, the grown up part of me pays the bills. Everything else is gravy. And I, you know, I'm just squirming with excitement because I, I'm thinking about, I just read something amazing that has to do with horror. And, and all good news about horror has, has to do with us because we also write horror that the upcoming AMC series interview with the vampire has black leads. Okay. There's a black Louis and a black Claudia. I just read this and it, it really brings to mind what an amazing time this is for marginalized characters, at least in horror. I mean, we might have some work to do in terms of making sure that there are also marginalized creators behind more of these projects, yeah. but in terms of just, I can't wait to see it. And I'm, it's interesting to hear the uh, the complaining about the race changing, and underneath it, what I'm hearing is if, if these characters have been black, I would never have fallen in love with these books. But now I'm in love with these characters, and I've got to watch. But damn it, they're black. <laughs> it's, it's it's you know I, oh I that, you know really to be honest that's what I hear when people are complaining you know and I, I, I every I don't day. want to love black people that's right that's right you know where, where's ours you know? <laughs> you know, it's it's like you know people are afraid of losing not not equality but hegemony it's mm-hmm. like you know we used to have total control and we don't anymore and people are getting scared you know and I almost every day on Facebook or on social media I'm seeing somebody who is scared of that and they're afraid of being marginalized. And it's, there's a part of me that says, you know, like the, the great sage Shonuff in last dragon stings a little, don't it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but Oops. you know, whenever I remember talking to, you know, to, to people about the, about the covers of books or, or lack of black people in books and their whole thing was, Oh, it shouldn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're being racist, Steve, to, to care that. that it's all you're, white people in these you're things. You're invisible. Right? How dare you even notice that you're not visible at all? That's right. So now that the that there are more black people, more people of color in positions of authority, they you can feel that there's a little bit of you know shoe on the other foot payback going on. Not a lot, but a little. And I think that as we start talking about the movies that we wanted to talk about, yeah. I I think it would be useful to point out some things that I think are going on there. I'm not, you know, what I will say about these things, I'm not certain of. It's a perspective, just like, what if? It's a what if. It's not a this is what's happening. It's more of a what if. So why don't we, you know. Why yeah, don't you, let's get, get into it. Yeah. I'm going to jump in, first of all, with a caveat, which is that I I don't think that the reason we're seeing like a a Black Louie in the interview with the vampire or some of these other projects is simply because executives want to do the right thing. It's been long enough. It's been long enough that the majority of these protagonists have been white. Dag nabbit. We're going to start showing other people. I mean, there is some of that. But it's because of money. It black people, queer people, probably if they're yeah. cold, over-index in terms of their interest in these topics. So that's why and that is know. terrifying to a certain percentage of the audience. They can handle people saying, "Well, they're just doing this to be politically correct." But if you suggest that they're doing it to be economically correct, hello, whoa, because they're you know it's for. That part of the political spectrum, the notion of of money and economics reigns supreme. You yeah. know, the libertarians. You know, the whole thing is sort of like you know, well, the the market should should decide everything. Well, it is, and they don't <laughs> it like is to side help. Side things. Oh yeah, you but know. Look so no further. Oh, sorry. No, go for it. Yeah, look no further than let's say Shutter's first original documentary was horror noir, a history of black horror, did fantastic, has basically spawned a spiritual sequel, Queer for Fear, directed by Brian Fuller, which will be several episodes now. A lot of enthusiasm about this. And, you know, I I can't, I, I haven't seen statistics. I don't have anything to back this up except anecdotes. But I think like Black people, and, and when I say like Black people, I mean people like me who learned to love horror from my mother as a way to heal 
from trauma, from racial trauma. A lot of people are driven to horror because of trauma and that you don't have to be black or queer to have experienced trauma, but certainly a lot of black families have experienced trauma. So that explains why so many people's grandmothers, grandfathers, aunts, uncles introduced them to horror. And I think in the queer community, when people like horror, and again, I'm not saying all people, queer people like horror, but for people who do get into a conversation and see them quote chapter and verse, the well, dialogue. What's, the what's really interesting listening to Brian talking about this stuff is the way gay people take ownership of imagery in movies. Oh, this is code for queer. This right. is code for queer. And I have seen that. To me, it's like people looking at George Washington and saying, ah, we can see the, the African in his face. Mm-hmm. You know, it is the, you want to see yourself everywhere. You, well, some if, of it you is the race. Huh? Some of it is the eye of the beholder, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot, a lot of it is. But the fact is that what do we know? We know that the queer people have always been here. We know that Hollywood excluded them. You know, when they did do it, when they did have them, it was never normed. You know, it was always something something icky. So the fact of claiming this and claiming, you know, these relationships were coded queer and these and so forth and so on. I think that that is normal humanity. You want to say we're here. Yes. And as a matter of fact, what's happening in 2022, as I think about it, I was thinking about marginalized in terms of black horror, Native American horror, queer horror. Oh, is, that the, is, that the, is that the one with Kevin Bacon? Yes, I thought it was no, fantastic. That was terrific. We didn't talk about that very no, much. We didn't. Think- they Them, which is on Peacock, is is absolutely terrific. It is. It works. It plays like a baby. You know, basically, there is a, a serial killer stalking a re-education camp, you know, yeah. a, a conversion therapy camp for, for gays. And it's it's gory and funny and romantic and sexy. And, you know, I, I'll i tell you one thing, just honestly, most movies where I see, you know, if I see a couple of women kissing, they usually seem like they're getting into it. So I enjoy that. But if I see, most of the time I see a couple of guys kissing, I'm not really interested in that. And I think that on a cycle on a psychological level, I'm sensing that these actors are straight actors and they're not enjoying this. They're they're doing it as craft, but they're not getting into it. But there was some making out in they them between a couple of guys where I was saying, go for it. I mean, it's like right. they were they were clearly relishing this. And it I I felt my own reaction different. It's like, oh, they're they're getting into it. They're enjoying this. And I can feel their passion. I can feel that. Now suddenly something else is something changed inside me when I saw that. That was really interesting. Oh, you could so it could be that some of the reactions you were having was literally based on the fact that the actors weren't selling it enough. You exactly. Oh, I wondered about that. Yes. You know, so is it just an aversion thing? No, it's not it, they're being straight in, in 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 America, undoubtedly there's some stuff in my head about that. But what was delightful for me to realize was that given a couple actors who really sold it, I was right there with them. Yeah. Get that. <laughs> you. Yeah. Who are you? Absolutely. I, I, I'm never unhappy to see two guys making out. So I just have to make there that. There you fun. go. What, what can you do? I never, that, you know, if, if guys can like watching two girls making out, then I can like watching two guys making out. You know, that makes perfect sense. It just, <laughs> it hasn't seemed to be true, but I'm thinking now, maybe that's why. Not every Maybe that's what's going it. on. I was picking up that the actors weren't into it. Well, this is part of what is a blockbuster year, 2022, for marginalized horror. The hits just keep on happening. Of course, we did a whole episode about Jordan Peele's Nope. So after you finish listening to this, if you haven't heard that, then you need to go listen to that one because we got all into the weeds about what the the chimp meant and, and, and what the film means. Love, 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 Nope. But right after Nope, it seems like no sooner had we watched Nope than on Hulu, which, by the way, should have been on the big screen. We saw Prey, Prey on Hulu, which is, it, it, tell them the, the backstory, honey, because I actually never okay, saw it. Okay, so Prey is just the the latest Predator movie. Right. But it deals with, it deals with a, God, what's what's the name of the nation? Who, who, are, who, are, the, who are the Native Americans? The Comanches. Yeah, the Comanche, a band of Comanche. It's not the whole nation of It's a band of Comanche who encounter a predator. And the 
the star. Amber Midthunder. Say her name. Amber Midthunder. Amber Midthunder. She does a fantastic job as a young woman who wants to be a warrior. She is a brilliant problem solver. And she is she is the protagonist. And the movie was produced, and I think that that the question of whether or not it was going to be released theatrically, I'm not entirely certain whether or not they at one point were thinking about releasing it theatrically, but I can tell you that the, the vistas are so cinematic that it's hard to yes. believe that they weren't thinking about the big screen. And I have a theory about why it was not, or yeah. at least, once again, this is that thing where I have to say, I'm not saying this to be literally true. But it is it. But isn't it interesting? Isn't um, it interesting? Isn't it interesting? One of the things that I I made a list of over two hundred movies for all the black people or all the black men died. I mean, it just happens over and over and over and over and over again. And for years, over decades, I said you can't name me a single movie where all the white men died or all the white people died. They're not not made in America. You'll see it. You know, I've seen some Chinese movies like that, and they're clearly hostile to white people. I mean, Bruce Lee's Chinese connection, taking great fun and killing that Russian. You know, that's you know, people had colonized Hong Kong, so there's hostility. My attitude is that I think that all of this, all those movies where all the black people died, it was not just a coincidence. It was not just a statistical blip. It was a variation in in humanity, in in, in accepting humanity. And I think that, that a lot of the audience, once I, when I started saying, well, he died, or he died sacrificially, or he died to save these white people, they're like, well, what's wrong with that? You know, in war, it happens all the time. Yeah, but you never see white people dying, all the white people dying to protect black people. Right. And, and for the first time in a white, we, I had noted two movies. One called what? What's the what, what's the, the monster movie? Precious, not precious. There, there's that that monster movie that we saw about the woman on the island. Oh, oh, sweetheart, sweetheart, J D. Dillard's sweetheart. Yes, yes. That is the that was the first movie I ever saw where all the white people died. Okay, and, and needless no, to say, there there are very few people in this cast. But yes, to your it's, point, it's, you know. <laughs> it's, it's not a matter of being fair. It was a matter of, oh, my God, you know, they, they did that. Needless to say, nobody's ever heard of this movie. I mean, the oh, idea being that I movie. think that there is a reason why it's so little known. Okay. And I, and it's like, be you know, better known. What, what if? It, it's, it's, a, it's a good movie. Then we saw another movie, a suspense film, once again by a black director, where all the white people died. And it's another one of these movies, nobody's ever heard of it. It's, you know. Remember the name so, of it? You know? No, I don't. I don't remember the name of it. But it, it was it. It had to do with a a, a brownstone house. It, it mostly took place inside an apartment building. I remember that. So these are small movies. Neither of them got theatrical distribution. Both of them had black directors. Now, this Prey one, does Prey, not have black writers or directors. Or that's not right. Black, does not have Native American writers or directors. These are the, the screenwriters and director are white. And for a while, watching this movie, for the longest time, really, I kept asking myself, because the cinematography is so beautiful, and I was so moved by the the very just-seemed-straightforward depiction of this Comanche settlement and their their families and their people and, the, and everybody having a role in, in ways that in most cinema, obviously, would either be very surface or downright stereotypical. And I think that it was... I bought it in the sense of can I believe how this woman faces the predator mm-hmm. why she's able to survive long enough to learn enough to be able to have some chance against it using the environment her perceptions her her, her intelligence her problem solving I bought it Comanche fighting techniques you know yeah absolutely. but yes absolutely you know I I, I bought it and I I but I've read um, a number of you know comments about how you know it's not realistic. It's this. It's that. Without remembering that you know the other predator films, also people got lucky. Also, you know people you know had phenomenal skills, and that the that audiences accepted totally with Arnold, and had some problems with Danny Glover. You know, and so it's like, you know, the one is tempted to kind of think that all I can say is 
that Prey is a terrific movie. It works. Yeah. It plays like a dream. Watch it in 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 Comanche with English subtitles so that you get more of the subtext. But I well, am just total thumbs up. Yes, and and at about the time I was wondering for the longest time why didn't this get a theatrical release? It's so gorgeous. The action is so great. I'm totally bought in. In fact, it feels groundbreaking. And I had thought from the trailers that it was just basically this one girl against the Predator, you know? So imagine my surprise when French settlers showed up in the movie. And then all of a sudden I understood maybe why it didn't get a theatrical release because it was not a flattering portrait of yeah. the French settlers. I and think let's that... just say without too many spoilers, they don't do that great in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, I can't prove there's a connection, but it is interesting to look at the fact that this imagery is so rare. Yeah. And to ask, you know, I would ask someone who thinks that I'm wrong about this to provide an alternative explanation for why the imagery is so incredibly rare. Yeah, so uh, rare. What such a great gem of a movie, and we yeah. had to watch it only streaming. And I know a lot of people still, or some people anyway, still aren't going to the movie theaters. I loved it when we could do both. Like, you can watch it in a theater or you can stream it. So maybe there was some of that happening, someone playing. Could be. You know, some, some cur- could some be, but, you know, I'm... I, but, Human beings are pattern-recognizing creatures, are pattern-seeking creatures. So I could be very wrong about this. It might have just been, might just be a coincidence. We'll never know. We'll but never know. We'll never know. But ain't it interesting? Ain't Let's talk about the, the other movie. And then that- right after Prey comes Beast. Hey, now this. Beast. Oh Idris Elba. Idris Elba plays a single father of two girls who takes them to their mother's homeland in South Africa to meet her best friend and see where she came from and hopefully try to heal their relationships after the death of said mother. And while on, not even a safari, they weren't on a safari. Well, actually, wait. They were on a photo safari. They were on a safari. safari. Let's just say the safari goes very, very wrong because poachers have been hunting the lions. And there is a lion who has said, I'm not taking it anymore. (laughs) Yeah, it's really hard not to empathize with the lion. I'm telling you. He kills an awful lot of people. A lot. Including, well, let's just say that this movie might fit into the same category with Prey. I'm not sure. I'd have to watch it again. I'm looking forward to that because there's one character that I'm not sure is the same as a character who dies later. And so it's possible that there is one white guy who survived (laughs) and who escaped with his skin. (laughs) It's possible. I'm really not sure. But I remember watching the movie and watching what they were doing and realizing where they were going with it and thinking to myself, this movie is going to bomb. No. It has has nothing to value. Is it? I mean, it's, it, it. I don't know, and it, it's. I'm not. I'm talking about what I thought, not what is proven. But it is. It's underperforming a bit at the box office. Can anybody say why it's underperforming? It could it be what I noticed. People could also say, well, there are some issues with the script. But then you ask a question, and I I've asked this from a couple different directions on Facebook, and it is if you are not happy with a company that you're working for, you're not happy with their philosophy or their politics, do you still bring your A game? Do you still do everything you can to perform at the, at the highest level that you can? And about 40% of people said no. And about 40% of people said that there's something about a company, if they're not happy, they don't feel like they're being treated well, they don't think the company is an honorable one or a good whatever, they would do just enough to get by. And one of the things that I think is true about art about movie making is that everybody needs to bring their a game their a plus game that when they do that you get magic you get black panther you get jurassic park you you don't get a jurassic park sequel you know and i got the feeling that the script on beast was a little undercooked that there were some things they could have done it needed another pass and i wondered if brad pitt had been the star instead of idris elba would they have developed it a little bit deeper? Would they have gone deeper? Did they think it was enough to have Idris Elba there? Well, it's unique because we haven't seen a black family go through this, as opposed to, well, it's Brad Pitt, so we have to make it as good as it can possibly be. Right. I don't know. I can't yeah, say. I don't know. You know, I have to admit, I didn't have issues with the script while I was watching it. We had a conversation later with, with a, a very smart friend who, who pointed yeah. some things out. But but I love, 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 love this movie. I loved it, too. And but here's, here's the thing, and this is the truth. 
I cut movies a little bit of slack when I know that they're using imagery or thematics that is not popular, that is right. problematic. My assumption is that some of the people working behind the scenes, some of the executives, those people are not bringing their A game. And it drags it down just a little bit. They can't get quite enough money. They can't get quite enough time. They don't have, you know, people aren't going to sleep at night dreaming about it and thinking about it. And how can I make this the best it could possibly be? It's just another movie that they're making. I, I don't think know. That, that is, that that's a danger, you know, when things happen like this. So I enjoyed it very much. But I do wonder about that. You know, if it is true that people don't bring everything they have unless they're totally happy with the situation, could that explain some things? I I wonder about that. And there's also the question, and by the way, Beast, you know, open to $14.5 million domestically. I don't know what the budget was. So It was um, at the low end of expectations. Okay, the low end the, of expectations. That the game movie, whatever that gaming movie was, overperformed and Beast underperformed. So, However, we'll see what happens. It's going to be the drop from the first weekend to the second that tells the story. Well, if you haven't seen Beast and you like horror adventure and you like Idris Elba and you like fathers and their daughters, you have got to see this movie. If you like a man punching a lion, you've got to see this movie. I mean, exactly. they actually do deliver on the promise made in the commercials. The lion it's action. Woo. Raising. Oh, you Great, no, great so action. Moments where neither of us could almost look at the screen. We were there so were actually crazy. moments where I couldn't look at the screen. I was looking away from the screen. It's like, that was that was seriously intense. So real. It's so intense. And absolutely- is so wonderful. And, you know, I have a fear that he's never going to get his shot at major stardom. That They're not going to put together the perfect package for him that would make him what he deserves to be in every way. And that's just a fear that I have. They're going to wait until he's a little older. And oh. then he's going to start playing grandfathers. And then he can do driving Miss Daisy. You're not going to have to go that <laughs> no, far. Not that but, far. You know, he's never going to be that. But, you know, he, it's it's just, I, I can see it. He should have been one of the great action adventures. He's the only one of these guys that actually stepped into a ring and fought for real. I mean, the guy's an actual athlete. He's an actual fighter, an actual marshal. He never, and, and I, I just have this fear that they're never going to put together that package for him. Well, I hope you're wrong hope about that, that. I hope I'd love to be totally wrong about that. I mean, 100% wrong I want to be. And you but know, I don't think so. In terms of any perceptions in the audience, you decide. I love this movie. I didn't walk out thinking or leave the theater thinking, "Ah, oh, that script was no good." I I thought it was to me it was very powerful and effective. But no, I didn't think it was I didn't think the script was no good. I thought that it needed another pass. Okay, so maybe there's this question, and I would argue that that Prey is an example where one of the screenwriters might have been Native American, for all we know. You know, it just so happens they weren't. I, But I'm not Native American, so I can't see sort of obvious things that should have been there that were not there, right? right. I think these guys pulled it off. Maybe in, in Beast, having a Black African, in particular, co-writer could have been helpful. You well, know. I can't imagine how that wouldn't be true. There right. was nothing in that movie. If they had swapped the races of the of the two male leads, I could easily have seen it as, like I said, Brad Pitt visiting, mm-hmm. you know, or or Nicolas Cage visiting an old friend in Africa, and things go very wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I could easily see that, and I I just feel that this is why it's critical to have more diversity behind the camera. You know, well, in, in the yeah. executive suites, and as that happens more, we're going to see we're going to see more goodness, more chewy goodness. I think so. And speaking of that, nice transition. There are two horror projects also from 2022, marginalized horror. One of them is already out, Master, which was a Sundance darling. The director is Mariama Jallo. That's about a black faculty member at a predominantly white university. I just read today, in fact, that. HBCU enrollments, historically black college enrollments have have shot up in the past couple of years. And I was thinking, well, maybe master is part of the reason (laughs) for 2022, because I can see so many parents and students watching this going, oh, maybe you want to go to Howard. Maybe, you know, maybe the isolation, it's isolation horror. It's a little, it's not really fair to call any movie the get out of this. But having said that, if like, if get out were on a college campus, 
that's kind of what Master is. And I like the way it weaves the supernatural horror with the real life isolation horror. That is my sweet spot. When filmmakers go too deeply into racial horror specifically, that is historically oriented, I get popped out of the movie because I don't want to watch. If I wanted to watch that, I wouldn't be trying to entertain myself with a horror movie. Of course, we have to mention that there is discrimination, mention the tension that the students feel. But lynching is horror is not my thing. Now, there is a scene in Master I would have done differently. I had a chance to interview this director at UCLA when the uh, Bruin Film Society screened it. And we talked about it. You know, she made a, a pretty tough choice in this movie that I might not have made. But she also does it with enough care and with enough questions about whether it's supernatural or human in origin that it got past my uncomfortable feeling that I might have with, well, what people call torture porn. I don't think the movie is torture porn. And then upcoming from Blumhouse, it, it was also a Sundance darling. Just got, it got picked up recently by Blumhouse and will be out this November, a movie called Nanny by Nikiatu Jusu. This is, I believe, her first major feature film. I have seen it because Sundance was virtual this year. So I got to pay a little money and see some of these movies and love it, love it, love it really beautifully shot, really beautifully conceived. Again, isolation horror, immigration horror in the vein of His House, which is on Netflix. I believe that's by an Afro-British. Oh, His House. That was great. Yeah. His House is also immigration horror. So what you'll notice in all of these movies, and this is one of the keys to horror, is you take the real horror. What is the real life horror? The real life horror is leaving your homeland and going to a place where you don't know anyone, you don't know the customs and trying to build a life for yourself. Right. This is immigration horror, isolation horror. It worked great in his house. It also works great in Nanny. For for Beast, the real-life horror is grief and loss. We've, t- we've talked before about how grief and loss is often the doorway to horror. I think because that's the first horror we experience is loss. Whether it's a grandmother. I mean, the idea that someone can be there one day and they're not there, I still don't understand it. So that's the first horror we experience. It's a great entry to supernatural horror. And nope. The real life horror is, there's so many. I mean, listen to the episode. I can't even summarize it. <laughs> but I guess if I had to say in a nutshell, the re- well, grief. Okay, grief is one of the doorways to the horror. And nope, as a matter of fact, I'll just simplify it like that. Yeah, and the thematically, chasing the monster that will eat you. Yeah. You know, yeah. the great white whale, in a sense. Right. Um, and, and and prey, what's the real, oh, well, the real life horror and prey is European settlement. and the- That's right genocide of the Native Americans. Right, the predators are coming. The colonizers and the predators yeah. are coming. And at the, the very end of the movie, they have to worry about. <laughs> at the end of the movie, you see that there are more ships coming. Yeah. The same way that there were an infinite number of of uh, colonizers coming with steel, mm. iron. You know, and so you have a Stone Age culture trying to compete with an Iron Age, Steel Age culture. Doesn't work out real well. No matter how brave and and. Yeah clever and intelligent they are it's just a culture that was was stuck in time because lack of interaction with other cultures and and unfortunately when that interaction comes it ain't always just hey can i share my great technology with you yeah you know it's uh, i think that you know it's interesting that there are no other hominids in existence on the planet the uh, you know the australopithecines and neanderthals and peaking and all peaking man and all this stuff, all gone. What an interesting coincidence. I wonder what. I wonder why. Hmm. So, the 2022 so far has been just a blockbuster year for horror that features marginalized characters. We're seeing some up-and-coming, especially Black women directors, getting their shot to, to make their movies and more on the way. And I guess overall, I would say just, yay, I'm so excited with... Just a little bit of a caveat that I would hope that going forward that studios, executives, networks that are planning to shoot and distribute marginalized horror, keep in mind that there are a lot of marginalized creators out there who also need their shot. So even if you have your hotshot director already attached or hotshot screenwriter you already know who's already attached, 
don't forget to give those up and coming marginalized screenwriters a chance because guess what? They will make the projects even better. Yeah, they bring something in that their great grandmother told them, you know, that they just heard around the family table, that they just saw, you know, they just soaked it in. It's not the research. And if you've never been to dinner with these people, maybe you should, you know, at, at their home, at the dinner, maybe you shouldn't be writing about them. It's just a thought, just a thought. If you know them well that well, that's different. But coming in from the outside, I'm not sure you have time to get up to speed. You might need to actually hire one. Right. And I would hope, and I'm almost, oh, I know for sure they had to hire consultants for Prey. There's no Oh, way. heck yeah. Beast probably too. Beast probably also had consultants. I think that's a good trend. More of it though. More of it and, and higher levels of consultation, including writing and sometimes co-directing. You know, let's, let's make sure that while the studios, even if let's say Beast is underperforming, I think it's still going to do solidly for an audience like me that is starved for these kind of images, like a daddy who loves his little black daughter so much that yeah. he, anything, I mean, come on, I will never get tired of watching that. Well, no, I mean, it's in uh, like, you know, there's no way I wasn't going to absolutely love this image of this man trying to protect his family. Right. If that isn't the, the core male dream. They thought that, you know, we have to die. Let's die for something. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to kill my kids. You know, right. that, 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 that sense of what is it that gives our lives meaning? Who am I? What and is mommy true? tigers too. Mommies would do it. Mommies would yes, do mom, it. Mommies, yeah. mommies would do it. But women are not, are not thought of as nothing if they lack physical courage. Ah, I see. Yeah. You know, a, a man who hides behind his wife is nothing. A woman who hides behind his, her husband, people just kind of say, well, okay. Yeah. You know, it, we, it, we can, it, it's, it's different. The roles are different. The expectations are different, and we need to create a world in which I think the first step is to have the traditional roles, you know, evened out between the different racial groups. Then you can go on to the next, which is both men and women having both their strength and their softness. But I think that that's when we talked about Black Panther last week in Wakanda Forever, it is the lack of that jumping over that that I think is actually dangerous. So creators, I know some of you are chomping at the bit out here. You're like, oh, there's all this great horror coming out. What about mine? Well, there's no better time to be working on that script, to be developing your skills as a writer, to be working on that novel, which is IP or short story, which is IP. Those become scripts too. And it just so happens I know of a great writing program that will help you get jump started as you become the best writer you can be. They say that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So create your own luck with the Life Writing Premium Program. It's a weekly subscription program. Every week you get reinforcement and writing practices that are going to help you thrive. Make your writing dreams come true, help you learn the business, help you shut down the voices in your head telling you you're not doing it. Because if you're doing a weekly program, you are doing it. <laughs> Actually, you yeah. are writing. Writers write. You, if you're you willing to write one sentence a day, we can get you on track. We can get you on the track. I believe that someone willing to write one sentence a day, we can get them published in about a year, the average person. If they're really willing to do it, really willing to lean in, because you don't just need the understanding of structure. You also need the psychological tools, how to go into flow, how to deal with fear, you know, how to brainstorm ideas, how to use your dream time to, to, to work. It's, there's an aspect of the arts that borders on magic. The creation right. of of something that you do that creates an emotional state change in someone you've never met. That is magic. And we're all about giving you that. So, you know, go over to www.lifewritingpremium.com and let us get you started on that journey. Absolutely. Weekly modules, do the as little or as much as you can. And it's only $29 a month. You can cancel any time. Really, go you know, because it with all of the noise in the world, all of the stresses, all the things happening in politics, all the things happening in your job, with your families, even if you've published already, sometimes people just need a little extra inspiration to actually do the work. You can't be a writer just in your head. <laughs> you have to be a writer by writing. And Life Writing Premium helps you make sure you are a writer no matter what else is happening in your life. So like Steve said, check it out at www.lifewritingpremium.com. 
Hopefully we will see you at Worldcon, ShyCon, if you're going September 1st through 6th. We probably will do a broadcast from there in our next podcast. And for now, thank you so much for listening. Go out, make yourself the hero or heroine of your own story. In the adventure of your lifetime. Take Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand-friendly, but don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.